I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. And this is Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. We are a new show breaking down the anime news, views, and shows you care about each and every week. I can't think of a better studio to bring something like this to life. Yeah, I agree. We're covering all the classics. If I don't know a lot about Godzilla, which I do, but I'm trying to pretend (laughs) that I don't right now. Hold it in. And our current faves. Luffy must have his due. (laughs) Tune in every week for the latest anime updates and possibly a few debates. I remember, what was that? (laughs) Say what you're going to say and I'll circle back. You can listen to Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect every Friday wherever you get your podcasts. And watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. Hey guys, it's Allie for the Hollywood Life Podcast. We are back with another week of celebrity-filled news with Bonnie and I. So hi, Bonnie. How are you? How was your weekend? I'm doing great, Allie. Um, it was such a busy weekend. It was surprisingly busy, actually, um, yeah. celebrity news. Um, and, you know, because we've had a pretty quiet few weeks. Why does everything always happen at once? It's so true, Bonnie. And also too, like around summer, around this time of year, celebs are vacationing, they're out and about, they're not really, you know, doing their celebrity thing. So it is uh, it, it is a slow time of year for us uh, celeb sleuths, but uh, there definitely is stuff to talk about today. Um, and I think that we're going to start off with Kevin Costner's divorce, because this is getting messy. Oh my God. <laughs> I know it really is but messy quickly. Yeah. And I'm surprised because, you know, he has claimed that he didn't want the divorce, that he was uh, like kind of sideswiped by it. I mean, how do you not, first of all, I don't know if I'm buying that because how do you not know that your wife is that unhappy that she's going to file that she's going to file for divorce like that. She might, I mean, you don't just do that usually out of the blue, right? Usually like separate first, have like a trial period almost, and then file. Um, So you're so right, Bonnie. Yes. Apparently he was like blindsided when he was, when his wife, Christine Baumgartner served him with divorce papers uh, in the beginning of May, Um, But then there's some new reports coming out that actually Kevin was the one who was going to file for divorce and serve Christine and she kind of beat him to the chase. So that was why he was blindsided. Yeah, but they that means that they had discussed it and discussed how they were going to do it. Right. uh, From what I've read, he is claiming that they had a prenup and the prenup, it said that he would always be the one if they divorced, that he would be the one who would file. I can't even imagine having a prenup like that. Like, and they've been married for 18 years. Oh, yeah. Wow. That like is you would, wild. You would figure that out that before you get married, that if you do get divorced, that Kevin's going to be the one to file. Maybe because, listen, She's not a star. He's a massive star. So right. maybe thinking ahead, he was and was 
you know, I'm the one with the public persona. So I've got to make sure that I have control on the narrative, the news and the narrative. And as far as I know, well, she's, I mean, she hasn't, she's not an actress. Um, I think she does some kind of interior designer. Yes. Interior designer. Well, and that's a lot of planning to go into planning out your divorce before you're getting married. (laughs) Yeah. Like 18 years ago. I don't know how you feel about that, but you know, this is so interesting. And now you put into context what this new report from the sun kind of says that Kevin thought that the two had agreed to a more amicable divorce procedure in which he served her the papers following uh, the procedure outlined in their prenup. Um, But he, and, and apparently he did have the opportunity to sit down with their children and say that they were getting divorced and his lawyer was getting the paperwork drawn up. But then that next day was when he was served. So she yeah. kind of, she she flipped the script on him. Yeah, she really flipped the, the script. And he at first made it clear he he didn't want a divorce, like that he wanted to work things out. So you wonder what happened mm. that led this couple of over 18 years to get into a situation. They've got three kids. They're, they're young teenagers, I think for 15, 14 and 13. And he's already had one, you know, one major divorce in which I think he gave his ex-wife something like $60 million because he didn't have a prenup because he married his first wife when he was a nobody. I think when he was a carpenter or something. So you wonder, like, what happened that led to such a breakdown and to her seemingly not wanting to reconcile? I think they've both said that there was wasn't infidelity. Right. Yeah, there clearly seems to be a lot of anger between them. Um, She's asking for $240,000 a month in child support uh, that, you know, for all for the three of their children. I'm sorry, she's a handbag designer. She's not an interior designer. Uh handbag designer and you know that she alleges she's like accustomed to this certain lifestyle and that you know he needs to pay for the private schools and the, right, the kids are accustomed to a certain lifestyle. Right. And and it's just it clearly is so contentious. So it is very interesting we have no reasoning behind what necessarily led to the decay of their marriage. Well, and the thing is, is that like, let's say, you know, he was really difficult to get along with and, you know, I don't know, or, she, or there was other sort of emotional issues. You would know that before 18 years. So it's not like something, again, why would she choose now after 18 years to decide that this wasn't the man she wanted to be married to? Right. And it does sound like she's making things rather difficult. I mean, she filed on May 1st and also in their prenuptial agreement, she was supposed to vacate their property 30 days after um, filing. And she is also reportedly still living there. So, you know, there she's definitely like digging the knife in a little bit. And, and I'm curious uh, as to 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 why, as we keep saying. So I think, you know, you know what, I, I I'm. I can see her point of view here. She's got the three kids. He's always away filming for long periods of time. Um, I think they that he claimed, she claimed that it that she's not responsible. She has claimed for sure that she's not responsible for him potentially leaving Yellowstone because I think fans were really 
upset with her. So she's saying that's not the reason that he's in this negotiation about whether he's going to come back. But still, when he films Yellowstone, he's gone for long periods of time. She's got the three kids, so she has to be the primary caregiver. And he wants her to move out of the family home. Now, I, I, if I was her, yeah, I wouldn't want to move out of the family home in one month and just right. my kids' lives. I mean, they've got school, they've got friends, all of that. And apparently, according to what's been reported about the divorce documents, he's only put in the in her prenup that she'd get one point two million to buy another house. Now, there's no way in LA that she could buy anything that's going to fit her and three kids in the lifestyle they've become accustomed to for 1.2 million. So I can see why she's not vacating. No, you're definitely correct about that. And you're right about, I mean, they have like five houses too. So why doesn't he just go to one of their other houses, especially if he's like on set and stuff, like they don't have to go, he doesn't have to go to that house or give her one of the other ones. Yeah. But I mean, again, think about you've got three teenage kids. They they have lives. They've got friends. They've got school. So I don't know where the other five houses are, if there's one in L.A. And why disrupt all of that for them if you don't need to? So that's worth tens of millions of dollars. Yeah. Well, it obviously seems like they just there's so much contention between them. And almost it's probably about like just to make her like to hurt her, you know, it's not because he actually wants her out or, you know, is it trying to upend his kids' lives? Like he wants, he's trying to get back at her for something, whatever has caused this, this, uh, rift. Exactly. Serious enough rift that she has not backed down and she's proceeding with the divorce. Right. Well, to disrupt their co-parenting. Yeah. Uh, Well, I guess that I don't know if we'll ever know, but listen, you know, something that uh, I think that actually we should talk about on the other side is that John Hamm, longtime bachelor, yeah, you know, from Mad Men, got married finally. He's 52 and mm-hmm. he married his girl, his girlfriend. They've been they've been together for a few years. Now I don't think I'm gonna pronounce her last name correctly, Anna Osceola, but they got married actually on in the same place that they filmed the Mad Men series finale. That's so funny. And she's 35. So she's almost 20 years younger. So he, I'm sure he wants family. He can have a family. Yep. Well, and it's so sweet because they met on the set of Mad Men. Uh, um, she played a hippie at a wellness retreat where his character Graber uh-huh. uh, had gone after uh, he needed a little R&R. Um, and so very cute that they went at that same location where they met. Um, and they did start, didn't really start dating, like, or people didn't know at least that they had a relationship until 2020. Uh, and they had made their red carpet debut at the Vanity Fair Oscars party. And then they, uh, uh, news of the engagement broke in February of this year. So, um, I don't, no one knows really how long they've been engaged, but she looked so beautiful. She's kind of like a fellow reddish head. Uh, and he looked of course, amazing in a suit. Snapper uh, and his, uh, yeah, he's wearing a tux. tux. Loved her gown. It's a strapless gown with uh, 
kind of a, a V-shaped bustier top and a slit in the front. And um, they got married like right outside, kind of overlooking the ocean. Must have been really nice to uh, get married in that uh, in that kind of place. But uh, she's wearing heels. This is what I think is so funny. And I think very realistic. She's wearing sort of chunky heels, which you'd need to to walk. She had to walk on the long. But then she changed into a navy blue gown, I guess, mm. for the reception. And I love it. She's in flat sandals. Oh, we love that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Definitely good comfort. Yeah. No, it looked so beautiful. It was um, Anderson Canyon and Big Sur where they got married. And um, lots of celebs there, too. Paul Rudd, Tina Fey. Uh, that are friends of theirs. And yeah, it just, she, I really loved her dress too. As I'm in the market for a wedding dress, I was like, Ooh, oh, that is very pretty. Yeah. Very pretty. That kind of dress would look great on you, Allie. Funny. Um, well, and also to some co-parenting stuff, as we were talking about before, we have some details on Kylie and Travis, Kylie Jenner and Travis Scott, um, after they reunited amicably at, um, Stormy's pre pre-K graduation. Um, very and, important day. Yes, very important day. And, you know, graduation. still there's rumors that Kylie and Timothy Chalamet are going strong. There's rumors that Travis Scott might be dating um, SZA as he's been showing up on uh, some of her UK tour dates. So these two, it really seemed like came together to support their daughter. Um, and a new report from TMZ because people, of course, anytime exes come together, people are like, they're back together. Uh, they're not. <laughs> <laughs> they're not back together. Uh, and they're not working on getting back together. The current arrangement is what's I know. Out. Well, the, the, what they're saying is that, you know, they're both perfectly happy with the arrangement, which is what, you know, that's what spokespeople put out. But listen, She's 25. He's he's 32, I believe. So he's certainly mature enough to get married. He's got two kids with her. He got agreed to have the second kid, even if the first was maybe an accident. He was all in on creating the second baby. Yeah. And she was all in. I think she loved being a mom to Stormy so much. But she's wanted a ring on it. Like, who mm. wouldn't? She wants, she wants commitment. Yeah. They have two children together. That's normal. Um, and so why, why did he commit to a second child and yet not, he not be ready to say, I, I want to be with you for the rest of my life? Yeah, no, it just, that's, that's what we always come back to in these conversations. And he just, yeah, wasn't ready to give up. It seems like that almost like rock star lifestyle. And and Kylie really is a homebody. Yeah, she really is. All seemingly are. And so, you know, I think it'll be interesting to see what comes with their future. But thank goodness they are good at co-parenting and he does show up for their kids. You know, that I think was my biggest concern when they split. Was he just going to go out on the road and like live that rock star life now with no strings attached? Or was he going to continue to come back and show up for his kids? And it's good, you know, that he was there. I am curious why they say this time feels more permanent because like, I wonder if there was just like, uh, he said he never wanted to get married or something. So listen, you know, she supposedly is dating Timothy Chalamet. I mean, Hollywood life, we've had photos of them together more than once. She's 
there were pictures of him going, driving to his family's house and her with his family. So all the power to her, she's 25. She's hardly dated anybody or been involved with anybody besides Travis. She only had one boyfriend before that. And that was Tyga. And she was with Tyga for a long time. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So, you know, hopefully she's enjoying herself. She clearly is such a great mom and very present with her kids. And so, um, you know, I guess we'll have to wait and see what what happens between her and Timothy. I wonder if this fall they'll be making any red carpet, uh, any red carpet debuts or they're going to continue to keep things under wraps, maybe something at Fashion Week. Uh, I guess we'll have to wait and see what happens there. Or just have fun and maybe she'll start dating somebody else in a little bit. Who knows? Hot girl summer. Exactly. She's young. (laughs) She doesn't have to be tied down. It is. She is so so eligible. So true. I know. Well, so we just saw too, speaking of eligible, Kim Kardashian went on um, Hailey Bieber's Who's in My Bathroom series. And she said Mm -hmm. she had a celebrity crush and that has been boggling my mind. I wonder who that is too. Cause Mm -hmm. she wouldn't reveal who the celebrity crush was because she said she wanted it to come true. So I maybe like all of the eligible Kardashian girls have uh, celebrity crushes that they're going to try to make come true this summer. Well, I thought that she was supposedly dating somebody. I wonder if that's over already. And she said that he met all her requirements. Remember, she posted that list. It was quite a a lengthy list. Yes. On uh, requirements and supposedly met them all. Right. She's texting some guy right now on the Kardashians. But that was filmed kind of last spring, last year. So we'll have to see last fall. So we'll have to see over already. If it's exactly, exactly. But um, speaking of Kardashians, Kourtney Kardashian and uh, Travis Barker had a little gender reveal party over the weekend. Uh, and they it was rock and roll themed, of course. And of course. they are having a boy. Yeah, it was so cute. They posted a video and Courtney was sitting on Travis's lap. And um, before they made the announcement, he, of course, did a drum roll. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Had to. And then they like shot the uh, uh, the color out into the sky. And thank goodness, whatever they did didn't spark any fires. True. Um, but I have to say that Courtney looks so happy. She's just like an entirely different person than the Courtney we saw for so many seasons on the Kardashians. I agree. She just definitely has like a light back in her eyes. Like, I think that she felt so much stress and like, honestly, loneliness within her relationship with Scott. And I just think that Travis, like she and Travis, I think she's really found, I mean, I don't know this because I'm not a mom, but my mom has talked about this before that sometimes when you become a parent, a mom in particular, because sometimes you are like the main caregiver to your kids and just the one that they automatically go to that like you sometimes can lose your sense of self a little bit you can lose like your individuality sometimes you think all you are is a mom yeah um and I think that Travis has like allowed her to really it come into herself again find that confidence be um like and it's making her a better mom it's making her a better partner it's making her a better person because he has just allowed her to be herself and happy yeah, well, she's not been loved like this before. Yeah. I mean, Scott never truly showed that he 
really loved her, loved all of her, um, wanted to be with her. And, you know, he he always held back. And then, of course, he had his addiction issues. Right. And he left her right after she had um, baby rain. Remember that? Like he left her. Right. Left her, just abandoned her. I mean, that was so hard. She was parenting three kids on her own. And I just remember she always seemed kind of like, not sour, but just really like unhappy. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah. that's completely different now. She just glows. So yeah. wonderful what love does for a person. It's so true. And I think there's like two things to that. I think that she really felt the brunt of her father's loss. Yeah. And I think she carried that with her and she almost like carried that like a badge for the rest of her siblings a little yeah, bit. She was the oldest. So she, she, the oldest. she spent the most time with her dad. Exactly. And, you know, she made it as like her reason for not wanting to ever get married and to really never, I think she held back from even, or she felt like she had to hold back or she, um, maybe that was her excuse for not getting married to Scott because maybe he just wasn't right. And I think that Travis showed her want to get married. Right. And I think that Travis showed her that she like finally could, and he reminds her of her dad. And she said that before that just that there's so many things, uh, that he's just the right person for her. And the other thing to that too, is what makes me so mad is when Scott complains about <laughs> how upset he is that Courtney's moved on and how he like has, you know, yeah. old, it's, it's, you yeah, know, dare you. hard for me. I'm like, you dated Sophia Richie and brought her around that family and your kids for like four years. What when Courtney was single and raising your kids, what are you talking about? Like that makes him so mad. Yeah. I mean, he dated one woman after another who was half his age. Right. And and now he's upset that Courtney's moved on. Like, buddy, it's been eight years. <laughs> At least. Yeah. Like, yeah. You had your chance. You couldn't make a commitment. Like you had your issues. Right. Like if he was happily married now, he wouldn't care. He's just alone. So that always makes me mad. But yes, Bonnie, you're so right. Courtney looks so happy. She's glowing. I'm so excited that she got pregnant after, you know, going, doing the IVF thing, trying. And I'm excited to to hear more from them about their journey. Yes, me too. I'm really happy that she's finally happy and that she's being fully loved and appreciated. Now, let's go to somebody who hasn't found true love yet, but who is just blowing everybody away with her con- with her new concerts or music, her empowerment, and that's Taylor Swift. Yes. Oh my gosh. Well, there's a few different things going on with Taylor right now. Um, but the first is that she performed in Minneapolis this past weekend for her Eras tour. Um, and she's getting ready to release Speak Now, Taylor's version, which of course, around that time that she wrote those songs, she was 19, and they were kind of coming for John Mayer and uh-huh. Taylor Lautner. Those were like the two exes at the time. Um, and she performed the song Dear John this weekend for the first time in 11 years. But before she performed it, she said to the crowd, she asked for them to please be kind when she releases the album. Cause she was like, you don't need to defend me for something that happened, you know, when I was 19 years old. 
I'm 33. I'm grown and just listen to the music. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm glad she did that, but that doesn't mean that her fans won't come for John anyway. That's but I, I think she and Taylor had a good relationship. I don't think she harbors anything against him. Yeah, no, the the song Back to December is supposedly about um about Taylor Lautner. And it more so is just like like she was just sad that things had ended. Like I think that he it maybe sounded like she broke up, but you know, it ended amicably and stuff. It was a very brief romance, but um it was so young. So young. I mean, she said in this thing, she said, I'm 33 now. I'm, I was 19 when I released that album. Um, and Taylor has Taylor Lautner has made funny jokes about uh, yeah. how he's not worried about himself, but he's praying for John Mayer. <laughs> that, that was the brutal that he's the one that gets kind of the. Well, yeah. listen, John Mayer has a history of kissing and telling and kissing and telling and kissing and telling. And mm-hmm. uh, so. And being a little uh, bit of a cheater. Made the bet that he's in. <laughs> Agreed. Um, but something else interesting that came out um, about Taylor is that she had turned down going on Meghan Markle's archetypes. past. Yeah. Um but I, I can see why. I, mean, I, don't, yeah. I don't see it as a diss against Megan. And people just love to hate Megan. And I really don't like that because I, I think Megan is perfectly cool and has just really been a target. And I hate that she's been a target in so many ways. And I could see Taylor, though, just not wanting to do a deep dive. I excuse me into her life on a podcast. She's not ever done that. She's become very, very. I was going to say, I don't think she's ever been on a podcast. Like I don't think I've ever listened to Taylor Swift on a podcast before. Yeah. So, well, even though it's Megan, why would she do that now? She hasn't done it with Oprah. She's never felt the need that she needs to explain herself, and she lets her songs speak for themselves. Right. So people don't go after Megan just because just because Taylor turned down the opportunity to be in a podcast with her. Right. I, I definitely agree because again, exactly like you said, she lets her songs speak for her. She also speaks directly to her fans when she has something to say and fans enjoy the puzzles that she leaves for them. And they like to figure it out themselves and figure out the little pieces and things that she leaves for them to to figure out. Yes. Yeah. Well, and uh, some of them are pretty not subtle. So, right. So, yeah. If you think about Kanye and uh, the serpents, right. She can definitely be very clear about who she's talking to, but she's taken a lot of heat for being too open for many years about her personal life, like for the whole Tom Hiddleston romance. And uh, so, I can, and after that, she kept her relationship with Joe Alwyn really under the radar. Right. And so I, I respect that. And I think her fans have got to respect it. And people shouldn't go after Meghan Markle because Taylor is doing what's right for Taylor. Mm-hmm. Like, I bet Beyonce wouldn't have gone on Meghan Markle. She, you know, she probably yeah. turned it down too. Like, there's just some people that don't really do press and they, yeah, don't, they don't want to, to. Talk. They don't want to share. Because right. what, what's in it for them to share their personal life? 
Right. It'll only, it can only be dissected and, you know, analyzed. And it actually would probably hurt her business of like songwriting, you know, like, and, and people getting excited and awaiting to hear what she has to say and how she's deciphering her feelings by, you know, something that happened. Um, so it kind of would probably hurt in that way. Um, and, and additionally, some people don't have to do press, like, because they're just that famous. Yeah. I think if Taylor had, you know, particular like cause that she, you know, really wanted to have a huge impact, I could, that's the only reason I can see her doing something like that. And she's done that on social media a number right. of times, you know, standing up for LGBTQ rights and women's yeah. rights and voting rights. And, um, but I think it would have to be something so large and that she would only stick to that topic if she didn't interview. Agreed. It would definitely be something I'm sure that tree pain was all over. Yeah, that's a <laughs> PR person. Exactly, exactly. Um, well, before we um, leave you all today, speaking of incredible singers with long, amazing careers, um, we have Belinda Carlisle joining our podcast uh, and she is lovely and it's such an interesting conversation. So interesting. So please stay tuned after this. It's coming right up. And to remind everybody, uh, she was a founder of the Go-Go's and they are arguably the most successful female band in history. And, you know, she's had a really long career. She was so fascinating. She's got new music coming out and we're going to talk all about it. Yay. Listen and come on back next Tuesday for another episode. Bye, guys. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online you'll experience the all-new Cerebral Way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hey guys, we're here with the Hollywood Life podcast and we really, really do have a special guest here today, a legend. But before I introduce her, I'm going to say hello to my co-anchor, Ali Stagnita. Hello, Ali. Hi, Bonnie. Yes, I'm so excited for us to chat with this guest today. Uh, as you said, icon, legend, all of the things, and we're going to dig right into her career. So Bonnie, I will let you introduce her. Okay. She's got big news. And this is somebody whose music I have danced to for many years. We're so excited to have her here today. Everybody welcome the legendary Belinda Carlisle. Oh, <laughs> that was quite an intro. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, you, you deserve <laughs> it. You deserve uh, it. 
you oh, know, thank you, you so much. The, you know, uh, one of the founders of the most successful female, all female rock and roll bands or I'm new wave punk. I'm not sure exactly how you would, would describe yourselves, the go-go's and then you've had a fantastic solo career. And, you know, we're here today because you've got a new single launching big, big love. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, I've been doing this since 1977 and this year I thought was, or last year I thought was the year of winding down, you know, and, and, uh, really having a quiet life. Cause you know, I've lived out of a suitcase basically since I was 18. Um, but my son ran into Diane Warren at a coffee shop in LA and, uh, she, he introduced himself and she said, what is your mom doing? You know, let's call her. So they FaceTimed me out of the blue and I get this phone call and it's this is like, get to the studio. I have a hit for you. And I was like, whoa, you know, it was kind of taken aback. I wasn't sure whether I wanted to make that commitment because it's a big commitment to make. And but at the same time, we don't say no to Diane. So no, I, I mean, went to- Diane Warren, she is, you know, for all our listeners, like huge, huge, famous songwriter. And right. she's done work with you before. Yeah, I hadn't seen her like I hadn't worked with her since the Heaven on Earth album. She wrote two hits for me, I Get Weak, and another one called Road Without You. Um, so yeah, so I went down to the studio and I was like completely blown away by the material that she played me. So I said, obviously I'm not meant to retire right now or semi-retire. <laughs> and yeah, let's do it. So we recorded a five-song EP called Kismet, and Kismet is very fitting title for the way this whole project came about. What yeah, what does kismet okay. what does kismet mean? Kismet conjures up like like things that can't be explained, like coincidences, um, chance meetings, happenstance, magic, the esoteric. Um, and in my case, and with this project, it was a series of coincidences. So. It's been a word in my vocabulary for quite a long time because I just love sort of the imagery it, it it conjures up. So I thought that it was like a really fitting title for the CP. Well, and it seems amazing and so kismet that um, Diane had actually written the song Big, Big Love like a few days before she ran into your son and she had already had you in mind for that single. Um, yeah. What was your reaction to hearing it for the first time, especially since you were hesitant to kind of get back into singing? Right. Well, um, I'm very black and white and have always been black and white. And and I have I hadn't done an English speaking project since 97. So I figured that those days were behind me because usually great pop songs that are on par with the sort of material that I've done in the late 80s and early 90s would go to some an artist that was much younger than me or an artist that was in the charts. So I wasn't sure when I went in, I was like, oh, what am I gonna hear? But I was like, wow, this is amazing. And then not only was that song amazing, but the other songs that she played were amazing too. And the chances of me liking five out of five is like 1%. Cause usually right. it's like one in 20. And it's like, oh, this is good. But, you know, I've been spoiled in my career where I've worked with the greatest songwriters in the world who have written songs with my voice in mind. So, Mm -hmm. you know, the whole thing was weird. It was just weird. And and 
it was like the universe saying, you, you can't retire right now. Yeah. You're, you're meant to sing these songs. Yeah. Oh, Bonnie, you muted okay. there. Right. I'm so glad that you decided not to retire. <laughs> and the song does sound like it was written with you in mind. It's, you know, very, it's very upbeat. It's very poppy. It's about finding right. love, but in a really positive way, like not, oh, I'm so sad, but I'm good. I'm going to find love, big, big yeah. love. Because yeah. I deserve it. And um, and so it, it's a, a great message. And when you're looking for songs that you feel are really right for you, what is it about them that you need them to have? Well, I always thought being my age, if something was going to come my way, that it would have to be age appropriate. Because I have been through, you know, I've sung all these long love songs as longing and loss and heartache. And I don't feel like that. You know, I mean, I don't, you know, so I thought I boxed myself in with that mindset. And then when I heard these songs, I thought, no, I'm going to, I mean, I've had so many different experiences in life with different types of love. And singing for me is almost like acting. So you go into the vocal booth and you can like, Take yourself back to a person, place, or time where you can get yourself in that mindset and singing about all these different types of love. So as long as the lyrics, and and most of my songs are love songs, as long as the lyrics are sort of poetic and not embarrassing and like three-year-old, you know, like, you know, like, like I'm I'm picky about lyrics too. So they have to, they can't be like literal. So these songs that Diane came up with and all the songs that I've sung, lyrically, I'd say 95% of the time have been songs that I thought were like, these, these are really good. You know, I can't just sing. I, I can't sing anything, you know? So like I said, I'm picky. So yeah, I just put myself in these, with every song within a, in, a, in, in a mindset where I could sing them and sing them believably. Well, and you also partnered up with Diane. Like, so tell us a little bit about how, because you were already working on Big Big Love when you guys partnered up for the 80 for Brady song, Gonna Be right. You, right? So that one right. came out too. Um, tell us a little bit about that and how that came to be. Well, I was in Mexico City. I live in Mexico City. And and uh, when we were working here and then she's like calls and goes, oh, I had this song. Dolly, Cindy, Gloria, and Debbie are singing on it. Do you want to sing? It's like, yeah. Duh. <laughs> so um, I sang I sang my vocals in Mexico City. Everybody did their parts everywhere else. Mm -hmm. um, through the years, I've met everybody. You know, we're not friends, but we've, I, I mean, I worked with Cindy a few years ago on, at a show. Um, so, and then Debbie, I've known since the punk days, you know, and, and, uh, uh, in a dolly I've met. I mean, I'm a fan of everybody. Yeah. So um, everybody did their parts remotely. They did their video parts remotely. Um, it turned out great. And I'm hoping for that something comes up where we're able to sing the song in the same room. That would be, yeah, so that would be fun. fantastic. Yeah. You know, I think that's so interesting because, you know, here you are, you were partnered with three other female legends who also are, are older and you you brought up and then it's for a movie about women that are older and that are yeah. living their best life right and you know you you you've said a couple of times at my age at my age but do you feel 
I mean, don't you feel it's like you're kicking age in the butt? Like, why is age? Why should age be relevant? No, age isn't really. I don't really think about my age at all. In fact, I don't. I feel like if I was, if someone asked me how age, how old do you feel, I'd say thirty-two. I always mm-hmm. go to that number. But um, I was just when I was talking about the lyrics, I wrongly boxed myself in because it shouldn't be defined. You know what I was saying, defined by my age. But I mean, I am also very aware that, you know, there are some things that I don't think that are appropriate for me to do. Like, I'm not going to go out on stage, you know, wearing in a bra and underwear, you know, I'm, you know, um, yeah, you know, I I wouldn't have done that when I was 22, but like, you know, there's things that, but plenty of women do, but that's fine. That's good for them. But there's things that I won't do because of my age, but I can't think of anything right now. I mean, I'm probably more active now than I've ever been. And I've, you know, my life when I turned 50 got very exciting in so many ways. So um, I was just only thinking in terms of lyrics and I was wrong about that. I was going to say, I agree with like feeling young. I like, even though like, like I turned 29 on Sunday, on Sunday and I like, you are young. (laughs) But I said to my mom, I was like, I don't feel 29. I feel like, 22. And I kind of agree with like Remy Ma just said that she doesn't count COVID years or the years she was in jail. So I kind of agree with that. <laughs> I have yeah. jail, but I like get that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't, uh, I mean, I don't feel my age. I, like I said, I'm more active. Um, yeah. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's just a number. Somebody yeah. actually, I was talking to a friend when I was traveling, I was in, I do all these crazy travels adventure traveling and I was um he said well just face it we're old and I was like no you can't I don't I would never say that about myself um I mean I'm I've of course I'm 64 but I don't consider myself old I don't know why but I just don't listen Mm. your your life experienced you've got experience and wisdom exactly I do which are our gifts to have and I think, um, you know, it, it's great that, you know, you are part of a, genera- a generation of women who is redefining um, what you can do in so many ways as a woman. I mean, listen, you guys were one of the very first all girl bands with right. the Go-Go's. And I'm sure that that wasn't the easiest thing in, in a very, in a world, I'm, as the music world's been pretty, was pretty male dominated. Well, we, you know, something we never thought in terms of gender at all. Mm-hmm. I did, and, and I never did, which is strange because I, you know, grew up in a very traditional Christian family and where everybody played their roles and there was a lot of fear, 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 fear. And um, I, you know, we didn't really think too much about it. I mean, it was annoying that we were being told by record companies that they wouldn't sign us because we were women or girls mm-hmm. at That's that time. We were young girls. Really? For young women. Um, but I mean, we had we were packing the clubs at that time and we knew that something would come along at the right time. But um, you know, and then as far as yeah, but yeah, I mean that was annoying. That was it, that was one of the but we and we proved everybody wrong. Hmm. Right. So which was, you know, vindication in the end. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and you are going out on tour in about a month. You kick off your tour in Georgia um, and you'll yeah. come through New York, 
Vegas, LA. Um, how are you preparing to be performing live and, um, you know, doing this like three month essentially tour? Well, there's a lot of breaks in between. <laughs> a lot. Yeah. I can't, I can't do it. Like, I don't want to do it like I used to. Um, cause I used to, I've done so much of it. So I just came off a big tour in the UK. Um, and that was pretty intense. That was like 16 shows in 21 days, which wow. is even tough, which is, which is, you know, the physicality about is, is challenging, but we got, I got through it. Um, what I normally do is I start my vocal lessons and I do a lot of breath work about a month before I go out on the road. So I'm, you know, exercising your voice is like exercising any other muscle. Mm -hmm. So I, I do a lot of that. I'm doing that right now in preparation. And then when I'm out there, I mean, when I'm on the road, it's like, I'm very isolated. I don't really socialize. I don't, I don't, um, I'm, you know, it's like a bubble. So it's, I, I really take care of my voice. I never did that back in the day. I always took it for granted. I would smoke, drink, sing, no problem, you know, and party, no problem. But now it's like, you know, I have to take care of it. So I'm just very mindful. I travel with four humidifiers. The air conditioning goes off, the heat goes off. So it's like a jungle in my room. And I don't talk that much. I don't really socialize. And it's and that's the way I, I get through it. So um and it works. And it's 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 uh it's kind of like a, even though I, you know, I, I work, but it's like two on one off this, this coming summer, it's two on maybe three off. So I have time for myself. So I, and I always make time for wherever I am for Pilates or for yoga or for whatever. So, mm -hmm. and seeing where, and seeing the places where I am, as opposed to when I used to tour, we never had time to. Uh, well, that sounds very like a very smart, sane approach. <laughs> and because I, I have to say, I do think that, you know, in observing, like, you know, in hearing of Taylor Swift, she's doing four hour shows and, you yeah. know, so many shows, it, it just has to be so physically and mentally challenging. And yeah, I guess, you know, you're young, but still tough. So I think that sounds so smart what you're doing. You know, you, we talked about how you, you're, uh, you've sung a lot about love and you, I, I saw on your Instagram, it wasn't that long ago you celebrated, was it 37, 38 years of marriage? Oh, like how you manage that That's a, to be so successful? <laughs> um, it's just work. It just works. You know, I mean, with any relationship that goes um, on that long, of course, there's challenges at times and ups and downs, but we stuck with it and we're like best friends. And I, now uh, we're both older and getting just, we've had, I mean, the most amazing time and we're, we're, we're it's better than ever. So I would say, I don't know, I think it's luck, really. A lot of it's luck and finding the right person. Yeah. And after our first, we had our first date and we moved in together the next next day. Everybody oh my thought God. It, everybody thought it was crazy, of course, but we didn't. We thought this is it. This is it. So and you both knew it. So and it was it. And it still is it. Wow. Yes. yes. The next day. How did that happen? Did that That's like love at first like, sight? Yeah, it was. I mean, we Created. went to we went to Holland Oates concert and then we went to Trader Vic's for drinks and then it was like that's it you know, that's it yeah 
And uh, every, of course, everybody thinks you're nuts, especially, you know, he comes from a totally different background. You know, he was working in the White House while I was had green hair and, you know, <laughs> a pair of snows. So who was he, he working for there? He was working. It was a, a chief of protocol uh, under Ronald Reagan. Oh, so interesting. He but uh, uh, Reagan Democrat, you know, and um, yeah, so he was there and while I was at the mask. So, you know, hanging out and, you know, being crazy. So it just and, and, and you know, he comes from the other side of the track. So, you know, his background is. Father was James Mason. His mother was a big Hollywood hostess. I come from Burbank, California, which is a very working class. So totally different backgrounds, but it worked. Wow. When did you take out your nose ring? <laughs> oh, God. Probably. God, well, I'm not going to the gross details, but probably pretty quickly after I put it in. Really? <laughs> I had this, the, the all around here. I mean, everything. So not everything, but, you know. Uh, yeah. 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 <laughs> Have any, like when you look back at your career and like your time, especially in like the 70s, what, what do you, what, like, what's the highlight for you? I think that uh, I was really lucky to experience that music scene in the late 70s and early 80s i'd say from 1977 to 1980 it was just like so creative so exciting we knew that we were all experiencing something really special as mm -hmm. kids i mean the music was just so many so much great music coming out and to be in the middle of it and to be a part of it creatively was I mean, it was like, it was a very, I can't put it into words, but energetically, it was something that doesn't come come along too often. Yeah. You know? like and it was really, really a special time. Yeah. Um, you know, and you didn't, you know, you didn't get raised by a musical family, from what I understand. And did you, were you totally self-taught? And you, I mean, you, you, not only did you learn your own instrument and the whole band played their own instruments, yeah. but you wrote music. Like, how did that all happen? Against all odds, I'm not self-taught. I, I had no idea how to do anything. Nobody did. And um, I just, of course, everybody fancies themselves a singer in the shower. And that's, I did, you know? <laughs> and then when we decided to, because all the kids that we did, it was like 50 kids in the, in the punk scene at that time in 1978 maybe a hundred tops and everybody knew each other. So we were in a party and it was like, okay, this one brand. Okay. What are you going to do? I think I want to play bass. And I had a choice of like playing the drums or singing, even though I had no experience, I thought I'll sing. So that's how it started. And, and you could be terrible as you went along and it was cooler to be terrible. <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, untrained, <laughs> terrible. We, we, our first show was at the mask, the punk club, the mask, which was, in the basement of a porn theater in Hollywood Boulevard. <laughs> and um, we did three songs, two songs, one song twice. That counted. <laughs> as and we just, I think that there was a drive to, it was against all odds, there was natural talent in the band. I mean, we wrote songs with masking tape on the guitar frets, six, two, four, three, mm -hmm. you know, like that until. We learned 
the proper names for the chords. So, <laughs> and there is just natural talent. No songs were ever written by anybody outside the band. Uh, it was a girls club. Mm-hmm. It was meant to be, it was more for fun in the beginning and being cool on the scene. And, but there was natural talent in the band and it was weird. I mean, to have that, to form a band without knowing anything, we asked Charlotte to join because she knew how to plug a guitar into an amplifier. <laughs> so, cause we had, we didn't even know how to do that. So um, to go from that 1978 to being the biggest band in America, three years later, oh, without the help you. of like anybody on the outside, it's meant to be, you know? So, and I think, I think there's like the power of manifestation there which I do believe in because I think my whole career has been a series of like thinking about it and focusing on it and manifesting it. And that certainly was the case with the Go-Go's. Wow. What a great story too, of just like women supporting each other and getting there. Yeah. It was like, it was super fun. No boys were allowed. They weren't allowed anywhere near. It was all girls. We had female roadies, female management. Um, but. Yeah. And then, and then of course, at some point it had, we had to be professional, you know? So, and then, you know, as, as it became more of a business then sort of men became part of the equation, but for years, it was just a total female operation. Which probably helped you guys like stay on track of just like the mission and the goal versus oh, getting totally. into like wherever else was going on during that time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, even our boyfriends weren't allowed anywhere near near the Go-Go's. <laughs> yeah. They could come to shows and that's about it. But I mean, it was like that scene, all the other bands, they felt bad for us because we were so horrible and on stage. <laughs> and so they would give us lessons. And I was like whispering and laughing behind our backs, I'm sure. But I mean, within three years, it was like, ta-da. You know? Wow, yeah. So yeah, it was amazing, an amazing story. Wow. And, um, you know, the, the band it's, is interesting because like you, even though you split up, I think it was 1985 from what I read, yeah. you've gotten back together several times to work together and to tour. Right. What do you think is it that has made you guys be able to do that, to be able to stick together, re-get together? Well, I mean, up until it's over now, I know, because it had to be over at some point after the rock hall induction, we sort of decided to call it a day. But I think through the years, I mean, it still is very familial, even though we don't see each other. I mean, we're family. We're not colleagues. You know, it goes way beyond friendship, way, way beyond um, business associates. Um, it's family. So that's. And then. We, we, I think through the years, we've always had a really, really good time. I mean, we always, it's a lot of, it's very, you know, everybody's very funny and Mm -hmm. we all, we have a lot of laughs and that was why, you know, we continued for as long as we did after we broke up, but we we were, you know, we broke up in 85 and then in 89, we were approached by Jane Fonda to do this um, environmental uh, like benefit in LA. So she was responsible for really getting us back together and on track again through, and then from 1989 to last year, really, you know, that was the end of it. So through the years we've had, you know, we've had a a lot of fun together. Yeah. Um, How would you say to that your 
personal performance in music and like the type of music that you want to perform has evolved from the Go-Go's to your solo career, like and what you're doing with Diane? Well, I've always, I was raised and grew up with, I grew up in Southern California and I was like that scene, that music scene back then in the sixties and early seventies was incredible. And every summer I'd like lay in front of the speaker and listen to the radio. And so I was very much influenced by those complicated melodies, lots of harmonies, um, over the top production. And even when I was uh, in the punk rock scene, we were really influenced by the music that we grew up with. And three of us grew up in Southern California. So it was always very melodic. So, I mean, when the Go-Go's disbanded, I just, it wasn't even like going back because it was always in my DNA, that kind of music. So I just, without really even planning on how it was going to sound, it just kind of evolved. And mm-hmm. that's been kind of with my whole career up until the present. Nothing has ever been contrived or planned. It just kind of happens. And, you know, I'll know, okay, it's time to make an album. What's it going to be? And it just kind of happens. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, that's no great, interesting. That's great, so interesting. Uh, it's not contrived. Yeah, with yeah. what you say about things just kind of manifest. Now, you mentioned your son. Um, how did you manage with this kind of a career and having to be on the road so much to be able, like, how did you juggle that? Because so many of, of us, um, you know, have that challenge. Right. Well, I mean, I took him with me. I took him out of school and the school didn't like it. But I figured that seeing the world was a much more important thing than learning how to add and subtract, which he can't do, but he can read. I mean, he's, I thought the only thing you should do is if it really, the only thing I care about is if you can read, you can speak properly, you can write properly and reading opens up a whole new world. I don't really care about mathematics, <laughs> so, uh, but, but I, mean, I took him everywhere with me. And also my husband's amazing. I mean, when I couldn't take him with me, he would take over, you know? So um, we were living in France for all those years. And, and, um, when, when he was, you know, going to school and, and, uh, his formative years. So, yeah, I mean, that's how we dealt with it. You know, either he came with me or my husband took over. Mm. It's always good to have the support system. That's, uh, to success. Um, well, Melinda, thank you so much for joining us today. We're so excited, um, to see all that comes from your U S tour that's coming up. Um, and Kismet is out now. So everybody, yes. And how can, how can, um, our, our listeners, uh, get tickets to your tour and see the schedule? Where can they find everything? All the, I think, the best thing is to go to the Facebook page, uh, Belinda Carlisle Official, and uh, it's very much up to date. Don't go to the website because that's not up to date. But the, <laughs> that's that's um, that's the best the best uh, source of information and updated information. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, and thank you. Having this wonderful discussion and congratulations on big big love and kismet thank you. and. Have fun on your tour. Oh, I intend to. I intend to. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Take care. Bye. You too.